Well, good morning. And um, I just had a real sense of the privilege of preaching this morning, that it's not just um, something that we do, but there's an imparting and just it, it really does come with a, I wouldn't say a mantle, but, but I'm trusting that you have got ears to hear and your hearts are open today. And those that are doing, coming to help with the offering, can you please come up? Um, we're just going to pray over that quickly. And then what I'm going to do, this preach this morning is going to be a little bit different in that when I'm finished, you're not allowed to go. Okay, it's going to be a long day. I'm glad you brought your lunch boxes, and in my case, there's no water bottles and up a highway. But um, by faith, we release. Father, we just thank you for provision. Lord, we thank you that you have given each of us something to sow, a seed to sow in some way or other. Lord, we pray for the finances um, of this church, Lord, of this family, Lord God, and we just pray that you would provide as we need for every single person here. In Jesus' name, amen. So, it is, this is a very, it's a topic that just grabs me. You know, if, if I get to choose, and Steve is embarking on a journey of spiritual, the renewal of the mind, which I honestly believe is probably what the world needs to hear right now. It is the inward, in terms of what the Spirit is saying to people. So, I need you to have ears to hear, because this is transformational in terms of how we walk, and how we call to see the kingdom of God expand and affect the nations. Without this renewing of the mind, we will be trapped, in a sense, in terms of, it's not that we believe in performance Christianity, but we are called to live a life of abundance. So it's not a performance, it's abundance. And that abundance will not come if we are trapped in a certain mindset. It's the mindset and not God that is the problem. And so we want to tackle this issue. And I'm going to just see if technology is on my side. And it is. Thank you, Steve. Amen. Thank you, Steve. Steve, thank you, Steve. I can just say Steve, and there's so many Steves that are blessed. It's amazing. This church is great. Romans 12, verses 2. Stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you. So, what does that mean? It means that the latest BMW and me trying to get that thing to imitate that it's cool and good and I've made it when I've got that BMW. Not that there's anything wrong with BMWs, by the way. And I also need a new car, so I'm not like slating myself. But, but if you're chasing it and your heart is wrong and you're trying to impress people, you're just imitating the ideals of this world. But be inwardly transformed. There's the word and focus is on transformation moving from this place and completely changing everything. So it's not just a change in moving from A to B. I've changed my weight, my height, my hair, a complete transformation, unrecognizable from one to the other. By what? By who, actually? It's, there's no what. The Holy Spirit is a person. It's not some spiritual force that you read about in Star Wars. 
This is the Holy Spirit, a person that's living inside of us through a total reformation of how you think. So the Holy Spirit is changing how we think. And this will what? It will empower us to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in whose eyes? Your eyes. No, you were made. It's his eyes. So this is a fantastic verse, and it's going to guide the, us in terms of how the role of the Spirit works. So some holy cows regarding provision. Whoops. There it is. How do you like my holy cow? Bessie. Move aside. So I think in some ways we see the lack of provision and the couple of, I've just listed a couple of quick mindsets that I want to challenge. You know, number one being God is testing me. I don't have, it's okay, brother, because God is testing me and I'm faithful in the test. Okay? Really? Okay, I'll, I'll get to that one just now. The second one is, you know, I'm in trouble because I was faithless. And my faithlessness is stopping heaven from pouring blessing on my life. So I'm the problem. I'm blocking God from blessing me. Okay, and that's just, you know, I'm going to struggle through it. And when I'm right with God, then he'll bless me. That's kind of where it kind of goes after a while, if you follow that mindset. And then, you know, the famous worldly karma. You know, I reap, I'm just reaping what I sowed. I was bad as a young adult. Didn't do what I should do, and this is just karma on my side, so I'm going to accept it and push through. And, um, and this is utter nonsense. Okay, and there are a couple of verses that you can't read. Okay, so I'll read them for you. <laughs> Tams keeps telling me to not do this. Tams, please forgive me. Thank you. Amen. But, you know, repentance means that I should actually change. Okay. I haven't quite repented yet. I'm sorry, Tams. <laughs> okay. And so to counter those mindsets, I'm going to read a couple of verses. 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 4. But we have been approved by God to be those who preach the gospel. So our motivation to preach is not pleasing people but pleasing God, who thoroughly examines our heart. So this is the issue of testing. You know, I had one of those holy cows as God is testing me. No, God doesn't test you. Jesus went and was tested in the desert for our sake, to show that he could withstand temptation and all temptation that Satan could. But nowhere in the Bible I haven't been able to find verses that say God is now testing you. He's going to make you suffer. This is a test, and you're going to build character. This is great. That's, he, he is looking at your heart because that's where the trouble is. And the circumstances that we are often in, some of our own making mostly, but they do provide an opportunity for us to step back and say, okay, how did I get you? How did I get you? And is it a heart issue? And an attitude, that's not God testing you. That's a consequence of some of the decisions you've made, but he does examine our hearts. And then this issue of reap, getting what you deserve, well, we know about grace. The next verse, Hebrews eight twelve, For I will demonstrate my mercy to them 
and will forgive their evil deeds and never remember again their sins. So to say that my faithfulness is stopping God's faithfulness completely negates that verse. Well, that verse negates that lie. That's a lie. Because God cannot remember your sins anymore. So why should those sins stop provision? It's a fallacy. The next one is Romans 3.24. Yet through his powerful declaration of acquittal, God freely gives away his righteousness, his gift of love and favor, now cascade over us. Now, present tense, cascade over us. Pouring favor on us. All because of Jesus, the anointed one, has liberated us from guilt, punishment. So we're not being punished. We were liberated from punishment by Christ. We, this is grace in its extremity. So that's a, that, let's just shoot that cow. And then the karma one. There's no power above or beneath us. No power that could ever be found in the universe that can distance us or separate us from God's passionate love which is lavished upon us through our Lord Jesus, the Anointed One, Romans 8.39. This is not God's programming. He's a God of love and the ultimate Father. So there ain't no karma. You know, this is the God of the prodigal sons. This is the Father of that Son. He will lavish upon us, cover us in the robes, and kill the fattened calf. So let's just get that mindset right before we step into provision. So that would have been a strong deviation from last Friday night's preach. Okay, but on that, I need to come in and say that life is just not a bed of roses. Okay, so yes, we have provision, but provision doesn't mean that there's not going to be difficulty. They're two different things. In our difficulty, God provides. It doesn't mean that God takes away the hurdles, because the hurdles do provide an opportunity for us to examine our hearts as well. And life just is fallen until you know, we step into our purposes and the kingdom of God appears. Oh, the texting is bad. I'm not telling you this because I'm in need. This is Paul speaking in Philippians 4 verse 11. For I have learned to be satisfied in any circumstances... I know what it means to lack, and I know what it means to experience overwhelming abundance. Okay, so which means that there is lack, and there's times of abundance. For I'm trained in the secret of overcoming all things, whether in fullness or in hunger, and I find that the strength of Christ's explosive power infuses me to conquer every difficulty. So there are going to be difficulties, but it's the power of God within us. We are made to be overcomers, and you can't overcome if there's nothing to overcome. And how would the world know about God if it, everything just, I woke up and the sun was shining, the birds tweeted, and it was a smooth sailing, and then I went to bed, and then I woke up, it was smooth sailing. Everyone rushed to become Christians because the world was fantastic, and I woke up, had my croissant. It just doesn't work. So let's go back to now what comes to mind and I'm talking about God's material provision because there is God's provision in terms of Christ as a sacrifice. There's God's provision of grace. There's God's provision of the Holy Spirit. I'm talking on a material level here, the physical, cash in the hand, 
let's call it that if you want, or some other food or whatever. And there are a couple of Old Testament scriptures, and you can start from Genesis and work your way through, and the list is endless. I mean, clothes for Adam and Eve, Noah's Ark, you gave the plans and downloaded them to Noah, the sacrifice for Abraham, a ram in the, in the, in the bush, a wife for Isaac, drought relief through Joseph, our entire nation was given drought relief thanks to God giving Egypt, Joseph. Provision in the desert of Israel. So as they're leaving as slaves, God's giving them water, manna from heaven. A legal ceremony and religious code for Israel. He gave them order to carve out a nation and provided it through Moses on the mountain. And so forth and so forth and so forth. So, I mean, God is a provider. It's just there. And then you've got New Testament, the same thing. Angels being provided to to comfort and look after Jesus after his trial in the desert. God sent him angels. The wedding in Cana, wine for the wedding house. I mean, that has got to be probably my favorite miracle. Why? Wow, it's so irreligious. It's unbelievable. We're having a wedding. You know, Jesus doesn't actually necessarily want to, but he's going to listen to his mom. He takes wine, water and turns it into wine. Now, the religious among us was, you know, hey, brother, you know, you know, when there's a real need, you know, God will step in. I mean, honestly, God was saving. Jesus was, was protecting the, um, the reputation of the hosts. You know, so the issue of alcohol, no alcohol, was a non-issue for him. It was because he had compassion at that moment in a circumstance. Temple tax, the coin and the fish, Matthew seventeen twenty four. You know, God, go and fish and catch this fish. You go spend more time fishing. You know, a cult to ride into Jerusalem. You should read these things of how they, everything was set up for Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. It's just provided by third parties and a fourth party. Well, the first party, which is God. The upper room was provided for in Matthew, Mark fourteen fourteen. Jesus just sends his disciples, go forth and say, the master's coming. And someone makes this upper room with all the provisions done, dusted. The tomb, Joseph of Arimathea, etc., etc., etc. And so this provision is there, but it follows certain, I wouldn't say rules, but it works on a different operating system. Now, we're going to talk about this unseen created, unseen created, unseen created. And I know that some are maybe battling with this, but I need you to have ears to hear because this is very important to operating with the correct operating system. You see, the Spirit of God was there hovering over the earth to create earth. Jesus was the Word, the Holy Spirit was there, and through Him all things were created. Things in the unseen and Things in the seen realm. The unseen was there first. There was God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The unseen, uncreated. And through them they made the spiritual realm, things that you can't see, not the spiritual realm, but things like angels and demons, our emotions, gravity. There's a lot of things you can't see that are operating in this operating system. I'm an engineer. I've been an engineer for, say, 30 years. Roughly now I'm getting old. 
it feels that way. I look back, I feel young as can be, but I mean, there's 30 years of history behind when I started. It's a long time. The longer I am an engineer as a professional, the more and more I'm convinced that whoever thinks evolution happened is dilly in the head. Because just from an engineering perspective, the law of probabilities are infinite. Infinite. They're infinite. There are so many constants that operate, that make the solar system happen, that keep oxygen on the planet, that keep the sea at a certain alkalinity and saline level. Those constants, the list is, is almost infinite, down to from macroscopic to microscopic level. When you add them all together, you think, okay, come now, guys. You're a little bit silly to believe that we crawled out of the ocean on four little reptilian legs. I, I'm serious. I'm just, I'm just flabbergasted. Okay, so, okay, sorry, deviation. But, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's improbable to the factor of just stupidity. Then you get the scene created. Um, and that is what we live in, uh, this world, that we sometimes invest significantly in. It's what we touch, feel, can see with our eyes, can hear with our ears. Even though sound is invisible, our ears are not. And so you have the spirit, and it's shown in this way because the spirit is actually the foundational element. And we are spiritual beings. We have this soul, which is the mind and emotions that are not yet in order. Well, they're on a journey as born-again believers of transformation. We use that word transformation right at the beginning. And then you have the physical realm. And so we seem to have this belief that they are all separate entities, each one with a clearly defined little box. Here's my physical, but they're not. They are completely overlapping, intertwined, they are, God sees all these realms as one. So physical issues for him, you know, you can take one step and move a thousand kilometers. When you start separating, well, you stop separating them. And um, just a couple of verses here. Around about the, a lot of this is around the spirit of God and his role. 1 Corinthians 3.16. Don't you realize that together you have become God's inner sanctuary and that the Spirit of God makes his permanent home in you? So this is, okay, so I just want to just highlight one word. Permanent. Just one word. Permanent. Okay? It, you don't lose the Holy Spirit. He's permanently there. You just can shut him out. It ain't mean he's going anywhere. You just put him in a box and side of you and close the door but behold I stand at the door and knock just let me in 2 Corinthians 3.18 we can all draw close we can it's a decision you can choose to draw close to him with the veil removed from our faces and with no veil we all become like mirrors who reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus so we can choose to step into his presence and start reflecting his glory. And we are being transfigured into his very image as we move from one brighter level of glory to another. And this glorious transfiguration comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is transforming us, this is radical, into his image. 
that we can choose to draw close or not. So I came up with this little picture. For me, there are two operating systems. I don't know if you can see it. Okay. Um, one is operating system 1.0 flesh, and the operating system is infinity spirit. Okay, and in the flesh, the flesh is driving your soul, which is your will, your emotions, you know, your stinking thinking or thinking thinking, whatever it is. Your, the, and it, that thinking results in an action. So I thought this, well, then I'm going to do this. And so whatever your thinking does drives your behavior. Behavior follows your mindset. But there is a fruit that comes out of that. So, so if you look at the fruits and you're a little bit unhappy with the fruits that you're seeing, then something's wrong with your soul, your thinking, and, and, and who's driving the ship here. And so what we see, and I'm talking about Christians here. So this is not about non-Christians. You know, this is not, I'm born again, I'm now operating out of the Spirit. Yes, we have the Spirit inside of us. It doesn't mean I've given him the keys to the car. Okay, so when we're operating out of the flesh, man is glorified. That's the easy way to see what's driving you. Is man being glorified or is God being glorified? Because the Holy Spirit has one job, and that's to use you to glorify God. That's your purpose. Purpose 101, infinity. And the fruit is temporary. There's a lot of human effort. You start to get weary, and it's typically fruits of the flesh. And you can do all good things. I mean, I went and started planting churches. But I don't know if I was operating out of Spirit System 101 because I started getting really weary, very disheartened, and all sorts of other things were coming out of it. And so, yes, you can be a born-again believer, but still maybe not operating on the correct operating system. The Spirit-to-Soul relationship is based on one called trust, yielding, and obedience which means that the Spirit is talking... Okay, the first thing is I've got to be able to trust that there's a Holy Spirit. He's talking to me. He's talking to me doesn't mean that I'm listening to Him, so I've got to yield. Okay, it means, okay, I'm going to step out of here. You can... And I will now... And yielding also then requires obedience. And it could be something ugly. Go and spit in someone's eyes. Oh, thank you, Lord. That's a great one. Okay, but Jesus did it. And Jesus only did what he saw his father telling him to do. And then there was a fruit. And the fruit was eternal. The fruit is divine. God is glorified in all of this. It's energizing. And there is multiplication. Exponential multiplication. And Steve talked about the woman at the well and how an entire village was saved through on the evangelism way. So I'm going to come down to a verse, a, a, a parable, and I'm going to have to probably accelerate a little bit. But the feeding of the multitude. Interesting. It, he did this twice. Jesus did the same miracle twice. Once he fed 5,000, the other was 4,000. It's not 5,000 people. It's 5,000 families. Okay, so we're talking mega, mega people here. Feeding of the 5,000, and it appears, it's the only miracle that appears in all four Gospels. Other than, and the other one is the, the, the death, 
and resurrection of Jesus appears in all four Gospels. And I'm not going to worry about the second one. But in John 16, 1 to 14, we'll read quickly together. After this, Jesus went to the other side of the lake of Tiberias, which is also known as the Lake Galilee. And a massive crowd of people followed him everywhere. They were attracted by his miracles and the healings that they watched him perform. So the context is the time of... Okay, there are two things. I just want to set some scene here. One is that Jesus had just sent out his disciples, given them authority to cast out demons. And they had gone out and even the demons obeyed that authority that had been given to them. It was limited authority. They were operating in it, given by God. They were coming back, like on highs and lows and whatever the story is, and he wanted to spend time with his disciples. John the Baptist had just been beheaded. And John and him were family together. Then the third thing is that it was the time of the Passover was approaching, and there were lots of pilgrims everywhere. So the villages were full. There were people coming to Jerusalem for the Passover. And so these crowds were with families. You don't leave Johnny at home. You know, it's everyone was there, and these families were coming and flocking to him. So then they were attracted by the miracles and the healings. Jesus went up the slope of a hill and sat down with his disciples. It was approaching the time of the Jewish pilgrimage. Okay, I've just said it. Um, and many pilgrims were there. Jesus sat down, he looked down, and saw the massive crowd of people scrambling up the hill, for they wanted to be near him. So he turned, okay, so I'm going to just follow a little progression here. Okay, and we're going to just see some humor from, from the Lord. He's got a sense of humor, and you'll see it here. He turns to Philip and says, where will we buy enough food to feed all these people? Now, Jesus already knew what he was about to do, but he said this to stretch Philip's faith. Okay. In some ways, I said God doesn't test us, but he does ask questions to see where our hearts are and what system we're running on. Philip answered, well, I suppose if we were to give everyone only a snack, um, it would cost thousands of dollars to buy enough food. Just then, Andrew, Peter's brother, spoke up and said, hey, look, he has a young person with five body loaves and two small fishes. I don't know how far that's going to go. <laughs> Understatement of the year. <coughs> and then Jesus takes over. Have everyone sit down. Jesus said to his disciples. So on the vast grassy slope, I mean the vast, a lot of people, more than 5,000 hungry people sat down. Jesus then took the barley, loaves, and the fish and gave thanks to God. I just highlighted there, he gave thanks to God, and we'll come back to that. He then gave it to the disciples to distribute to the people. Miraculously, the food multiplied with everyone eating as much as they wanted. And when everyone was satisfied, Jesus told his disciples, go back, gather up the pieces, Let's see what's left over so that nothing will be wasted. The disciples filled 12 baskets of fragments, a basket for each disciple. Someone's making a point. So what's the issue here? So we talked about this background. Jesus had sent the 12 out to cast out demons. They'd come back. John the Baptist is beheaded. Jesus wants to spend some time. If you read the other Gospels, he actually wanted to take time out, which didn't happen. And so often we have plans. Even Jesus had plans. And these plans didn't quite work out the way that he necessarily planned or wanted them to. But still, God used it for probably one of the greatest miracles in the Bible. And my page is reset. And so things don't accordingly always go to plan. 
And there were about 8,000 or more people that were hungry here. They had been without, the Bible says, they had been out without food for a long time. For a long time. And it was now approaching dusk, and they were remote. They were in like a really remote part. There was no real villages of significance around. So there's a problem. Okay, and that problem evokes two forms of pattern of response. We can operate on flesh 101 or spirit infinity operating systems. And let's see how the two work themselves out. Because you see the two operating systems in full flare here. The disciples identify the issue. Okay, hey, Jesus, we've got a problem. People are hungry and it's getting late. Okay, These are phys- it's a physical body related problem. I'm hungry. Body needs sustenance. Jesus throws the ball back into their court and asks the question, what are you going to do about it? Jesus, he asks, what are you guys going to do about it? So then in the flesh, the fleshly response you see from the disciples, they're operating off their system. It says, okay, well, in the natural, we can send them back to the villages. Great. Secondly, we can go and do a little collection. We can buy snack burgers on a wacky Wednesday. Try and feed them. Okay, those are the two responses. You see them. So you can see, but there's, you can imagine, okay, sending them to the villages, is that really going to bear fruit significantly? And then raising money, that's a lot of time and effort. And I'll just put a little crowd of, say, what 10,000 people would look like at the bottom, just so you get a feel for the magnitude of the issue. But Jesus throws it straight back again at them. They don't need to leave. You can give them something to eat. Second curveball. Ooh. No, no, they're not going anywhere. Give them something to eat. Okay, now they're getting a little bit stressed, I suppose. I would be feeling a little bit stressed. Okay, but they've got inadequate resources. There are seven, 8,000 people. You've got five loaves, two fish. You can do the maths. But Jesus has compassion. So the Bible says he operated out of compassion. Looking at the crowd, <coughs> he had compassion. So the operating system of Spirit 1 of Infinity is love. Okay, that's its core programming. Driven by love, drives out compassion, turns to action. And he already had an answer. So Jesus knew what God was going to do. Jesus didn't, it wasn't Jesus driving the agenda, it was God. Jesus takes action, he brings order. Sit them in rows of 50. And the first thing he does is glorify God. So he hasn't done the miracle yet. He got them to lie, right, everyone sitting around, and then he already thanks God for what the Father's already done. So he brings glory to God, not to man. And so you see the miracle steps in. And 5,000 people. But he gives thanks to God. And then, you know, with God's sense of humor, he doesn't just feed everyone. They're leftovers. Oh, Lord, how could you be so wasteful? The religious spirit rises up. You could have fed more people with all that. Why did you need to kill? No one died in terms of the fish, but sometimes there's this mindset. And so... But Jesus wanted to make a point that he's abundant. He's more, more than enough. 
more than enough. And so we see this transition from the scene created, unseen created, and unseen uncreated. We see that the Trinity has got things under control. Even though in the natural things are looking like they're completely out of control. But with an adjusted mindset in terms of the unseen created, we see that the physical realm is directly impacted. There's a provision from heaven at a spiritual level that just divinely multiplies everything and sorts the problem out quickly. And so we've got to be careful which operating system we're operating under. And we see what the fruits are of this. There's divine multiplication. So we had like five fish going to 5,000 people fed. It's just radical. Jesus gets the disciples involved, so they are learning a lesson, and he's, he is trying to prepare them for when he is around, not around, and the Holy Spirit will guide them. Everyone is satisfied, there's an abundance, there's an overflow, and so this unseen created impacts directly, and it needs to be subject to the Holy Spirit. Okay, and this is my last slide. So, there's a challenge, and the challenge is around which operating system we can operate at. And I think for me, there's a temptation, not a temptation, but we're almost hardwired because we were born in, in flesh. And the world tells us this is how you operate. So we tend to default to that. You know, we're in need, we'll go out and do a raffle, whatever the story is. But we don't turn to God first and see what the Lord is trying to do or what the Holy Spirit is saying to us in the situation. And that's the challenge. The challenge is to transform. It's through that when you see that God does it this way, you can start to trust Him. But you've got to yield first. There's a faith. That's why the Bible says without faith you can't please God. You've got to have the faith that He's going to come and do what He is famous for which is just to lavish love and provision on us.